You're listening to Beyond Her Grind, the podcast that gets at the root of what motivates women of color to want more in their careers. I'm your host, Esther Leonard, a career development professional, aspiring entrepreneur, and fellow grinder. Stay updated with weekly episodes by subscribing to this podcast, and be sure to follow me on Instagram at Beyond Her Grind. And check out my website at beyondhergrind.com. Let's get to the root of it. I am so excited to have Felicia Jazdek on this episode. Today, we are going to talk about how to have difficult conversations in the workplace. And this is so needed, I think, all the time in our lives, particularly as women, women from underrepresented, marginalized backgrounds, you know, it's hard to have certain conversations. Um, and sometimes it could be the simple conversations of um, asking for more help on a project. And then some of them can be bigger, right? Um, having that conversation about your identity or that that uncomfortable moment where a microaggression has happened. And I think Felicia is the perfect person to talk to. She works at She Geeks Out, and she's going to tell us a little bit more about the organization. And she works as the co-CEO and head of training. So welcome, Felicia. Thank you so much for, for being on this podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. So uh, let's get started with the questions. So, okay, so who is Felicia? Tell me a little bit about you. I always like to start the podcast to hear a little bit more about who the guest is, right? How did that shape you? How did that sort of lead you to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we could probably spend the whole episode <laughs> talking about this. Um, but I guess uh, I'll try to make it short and sweet. Um, so I am a, gosh, I'm like, where to start? I am what they call an elder millennial. I'm from Philadelphia originally. And I currently work as a practitioner. And I'm happy to talk more about She Geeks Out in just a minute. But mm-hmm. um, I came to the work because I've had a lot of experiences personally as well as professionally, that related not just to what I was doing in work, but to my my personal identities. And so I am biracial. My mom is from India, and my dad is American, but of Polish descent. Mm -hmm. So um, you may have noticed when you were introducing me that my name is very Polish, Mm -hmm. but if you were to have just met me in person, you would have noticed that I'm uh, kind of like a short brown person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, you know, definitely, I think a lot about the term racially ambiguous because that's yeah. very much where I sit in between a lot of different cultures. And that actually extends to other aspects of my identity as well. I'm also hard of hearing, mm-hmm. and so I have a hearing disability. And so it's something that I was born with, and it very much influences my life and, and what I do. But just like my racial identity, I sort of sit in between um, not truly being 100% deaf and, and really feeling like part of that deaf community, yeah. um, but also not being able to hear um, without the help of my hearing aids. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, just a couple aspects of who I am, but, you know, really, 
as I said, this I've had so many experiences growing up and um, personally and professionally, and that's really what I guess originally brought me to the work that I currently do. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot of other stuff about me too. But like I said, I won't go too far down that pathway. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll spend our whole time just talking about that. Yes, and I I love that. Uh, I love just getting into the background because it really ties into the moves you make in your life, in your career. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm glad you you shared do- those different aspects of your identity because, you know, women of color are not a monolith, right? There's so much intersectionality between our identities um, that, you know, shape who we are and kind of affect how other people view us as well. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, we could we could have a whole conversation about that. <laughs> so what is your role at She Geeks Out? And can you tell me a little bit about the organization and how did you get to that role and kind of tie in like, you know, your identity and getting to a role um, like what you're doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so she Geeks Out is a company that I co-founded mm-hmm. um, just over, well, it's been around since about 2013 in some shape or form, but the company itself is just over five years old. So actually, no, it'll be six years old next month. We're recording in February right now. Nice. So, you know, we've been around for a while. I co-founded this organization with my business partner, Rachel Murray. And the way that I sort of came to the point of becoming a co-founder and co-CEO was I spent most of my career in the tech space, mm-hmm. and I had started to um, get into the world of program management, which is something I really love to do. And so I was working with engineering teams, and I was embedded within R&D for a certain organization, and um, just really loved working in that space and building things and running them and building relationships and connecting people. And so around um, 2011, 2012 timeframe, that's when a lot of tech companies were starting to consider diversity a bit more than they had been in the past. And so, um, you know, we've seen this kind of played out in a lot of different industries, but just as with other places in tech, um, at least in my experience, the conversation started with gender diversity first. And so I had been asked to basically ramp up this employee resource group for the women software engineers at this company. And that's how I got into the work because I was a woman um, and I had to use different identities and I was a program manager. And, you know, really it was, it was hard at first because I was not an engineer. I was not a software engineer. I didn't code. And so I didn't have that experience to relate to the people that I was trying to support. And at the same time, the space was so new and changing, especially within that industry. And so there really weren't very many best practices to look to. And so a lot of the initial work was just reaching out to other people who are doing similar work and trying to figure out what I could do or what I need to learn and teaching myself. And that's how I met Rachel and that's how we started um, what became She Geeks Out because we started this this meetup essentially for women in tech in the Boston area, which is where we were located at that time. And so we held our first event in June of 2013, and we had over 80 women show up. And it was just really clear from the very beginning that there was a need for some kind of space 
to connect with other women who were in similar stages of life and in similar working um, experiences and, and career stages. And just being able to talk and chat and connect without having it be you're a mom or you're mm-hmm. out of college or <laughs> you're trying to get this job or, you know, there was just, it was so needed. And so that's really what, what led to the formation of She Geeks Out. And so we just started holding these events and it, it grew and grew and got more popular. And then in 2016, both Rachel and I left our full-time jobs to work on She Geeks Out full-time. And um, as of today, again, we're recording this in February 2021, um, we have uh, a team of six people, including the two of us, and we are virtual because pretty much every organization is virtual. We're all across the U.S., and we um, are doing lots of really cool, interesting things, but that's really how I came to it. I sort of fell into it. It was very organic. Um, It was definitely, I think, a bit of a different startup story than a lot of other uh, storylines or pathways that you might hear when you when you start talking about startups and building businesses and um, you know small organizations, but it's it's been my story and my pathway. So, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's interesting as I'm listening to your story, and you talked about like how you you know you started the space, you didn't have a tech background, and I'm seeing the parallel between like elements of isolation. You know, like, and have, finding someone who's doing something like you or is in a similar boat, right? And and then creating a space for people or for women who have those experiences in, in slightly different ways. Um, so I think that's pretty powerful that you all are doing that. And it's, it's not tech-focused because I work at Boston University and that's how I found out about She Geeks Out because my supervisor yeah. would do these. Yeah. <laughs> we have evolved so much. I mean, we're still very much, I, I think we still have very close ties to where we began. Yeah. But at the same time, we've evolved. And I think that's part of, um, I guess, like the magic of it, if you will. Yeah. Because one thing Rachel and I say all the time is the minute that we're no longer needed or, you know, people don't what we're offering isn't something that people need then we'll stop doing it because we we want to help people and that might sound corny but at the end of the day that's really what we're all about and so yeah when we first started we were really narrowly focused on women in tech in boston um what we started seeing almost from the very beginning was that we had women coming who were not in tech and so we were like okay well we're gonna be this community for tech and tech adjacent women yeah and then Especially, you know, we started off holding our events in 2013. It's 2021 now. A lot of things have changed. And I feel like one of the big shifts as well is that pretty much almost every company and any organization has tech embedded in some way at this point. So the tech designation is not as um, important, I guess you could say, or, or as significant as it was in the past. And as we got into the work and, and we're developing out and supporting our community, we also started learning that our definition of who a woman was was maybe unwittingly narrow. And right. so we started expanding from that standpoint as well. So today, um, I know when you um, when we were prepping, you would ask me how to pronounce the name of She Geeks Out because it's written with a plus after the right. C. And the reason for that sort of um, bit of rebranding, if you will, is because we really want to 
respect the origins of where we started, but also um, respect and acknowledge the fact that there are many different ways to identify um, gender as not binary spectrum. And we're also trying to create space and support and a community for people who are non-binary, who identify as genderqueer, Um, really any marginalized identity. That's kind of what we're trying to support. As well as the fact that because when we started off, we were more focused solely on community. And now what we do is we, I like to say that we have two sides of the organization. So we still have our community, which is special and really important to us and and wonderful. And then we also run um, programming around diversity, equity, inclusion topics for organizations. And so that's also been a bit on how we've evolved over the years. And that's really where I spend more of my time these days than our community, even though I love them very much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is is great. I think like this, I could have a whole hour uh, on this as well, because I think you made a a good point of the evolving and also recognizing. And I've seen this in some of the the webinars that you all have, like recognizing your own ignorance in a sense, and then learning from it and trying to make a change from that, right? So adding the plus, even though you all are this organization that is inclusive, right? Making sure that you're finding ways that you're doing the research and doing the reflection and making those changes. So, and, and telling, you know, women or encouraging other people um, to, to not, I mean, when I say not to be too hard on yourself, like, I think there's importance and accountability and research and everything, mm-hmm. but you're not going to know everything, right? Based on your experience. Oh yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, I'm really big on sharing and, and letting people know that I don't believe in perfection because yeah. I don't think you can ever yeah. know all the things or learn all the things or be perfect. And so that's part of, you know, for me, that's part of not just the work, but also just being a human is yeah. acknowledging that I don't know everything and that things are changing and will change in the future. And so I can tell you, you know, today, uh, right now at this moment in time, I have a certain understanding of topics and concepts and identities and how the world is working. And it's probably going to change, you know, tomorrow, next month, next year. And that's part of the work too, is to be flexible. And, you know, going back to what we were talking about just a moment ago, like listening, because I, I definitely remember, especially in the very beginning, um, feeling, you know, defensive if people would come to us and say, Hey, you know, is this community for me? Or, Mm. you know, have you thought about X, Y, Z? And I would say, I would have feelings of defensiveness around it. And I had to really do a lot of work. And I still do work around this sometimes. uh, Thinking, you know, where does my resistance come from? And, you know, just because I may not have a personal experience or connection with um, how someone's showing up in the world or an identity or whatever it might be doesn't mean that I can't support. And so what does that support look like? Yeah. You know even things around beyond just our community, but some practices that we've started to implement in the last year or two around things like land acknowledgements, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. you know, just things like how we're providing accessibility to our programming and our offerings. Like it's an ever evolving conversation and yeah, it'll never be done probably. And that's, that's part of the work. Yeah. Yeah. This is a great segue to the next question, right? So when you hear the phrase difficult conversation or a tough conversation, what comes to mind? And I think the reason why it's a good segue is because 
that can be a tough conversation, right? Or difficult conversation if someone's coming up to you and they're like, hey, great, you're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but what about land acknowledgement, right? Um, but, but like, overall, what do you think of when you think of a tough or a difficult conversation? Yeah, it, it really depends, I think, so much on context mm -hmm. and who's involved in the conversation or who's going to be having the conversations. Because, you know, definitely things that come to mind are um, just sort of emotions and thinking around, again, that sort of idea of resistance that I just talked about. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times when we have resistance, you know, we're not, I don't think we're really taught as um, individuals or even as a society to reflect on things like where does our defensiveness or resistance come from yeah. and that's what contributes to having hard conversations because you that's where you see people shutting down mm -hmm. or pushing back or not wanting to be in the conversation and so you know there's really this idea of um self-reflection introspectiveness um you know examining yourself that is it's hard mm -hmm. and that can be part of the difficult aspect of it too yeah. um, you know but a lot of times especially in this work and, and in my own experience i've had to really sort of stop and say you know why is this hard or mm. um you know how can i reframe my thinking around this conversation or how can i like what tools can i use to to um, make sure that I'm not just reacting or having an emotional reaction or, you know, getting um, triggered by something. Yeah. Or is there, are there ways that I can approach this from a different angle? And I'll be really honest, like actually being in therapy for the last couple of years has been really helpful. Yeah. And thinking therapy about works. having difficult conversations, that <laughs> yeah. doesn't mean that I'm perfect, but mm -hmm. it definitely has given me some additional tools with um, thinking about how to not just have the conversation, but also be present in, in those moments too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think there's that element of defensiveness, but there's, there's there, that element of fear. So particularly yeah. women who identify as BIPOC or women of color, you know, face this idea of difficult conversations in a totally different manner, right? From salary, uh, to the, mm -hmm. can I touch your hair? <laughs> like, how do you have a conversation about that? You know, those types of those those types of things. So, I want to talk a little bit about how women should address that. So, like maybe the example that I gave you, particularly about hair or something that's unique to that that woman's identity, uh, that they don't know. Like, it's that microaggression. They pause yeah. and they're like, uh, did that person just say that or? Should I do? Yeah. Should I ignore what? Like, how, what tools? I know you mentioned tools um, or strategies. Uh, should a woman use or, or way to handle that? You know, as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's um, it, when we start talking about this kind of experience, especially with BIPOC and, and women of color. Um, you know, really, what I sort of immediately go to in my mind is what are the written and unwritten rules that we're operating in? Mm. And so I think that the way people can think about responding in moments like that will depend on things like what are what is your organization like already? Like, mm. do you what kind of relationships do you have with your peers, or um, if you report to someone, your your manager or leadership structure, and what does communication look like? Because if 
the organization already has a culture where feedback is encouraged and dialogue is encouraged and transparency is encouraged, then, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with with having those conversations, but you have to have that psychological safety Mm -hmm. because even with organizations that have the most amazing missions or people working there, if they say one thing but do another, then that's where we see, you know, that you get sort of traumatized by by being in these positions and then you ultimately get to the point where you just don't do anything because it's not worth it or it'll be detrimental or you'll face retaliation. So I think... You know, in in general, what I would say is um, first consider, you know, how you might want to respond because that could be, you could be taking different approaches. So it could be um, having conversations in the moment. It could be having conversations later. It could also be reaching out to other people and saying, hey, this this experience is going on or I had this happen and I need you to either validate me or Mm. support me or I need to tag you in because whoever is involved will it'll land more effectively if it comes from someone else and it comes from me and unfortunately that's kind of the reality that a lot of women of color have to deal with where Mm. you know we we don't live in a post-racial world right so we're not operating in a place that is colorblind. It's always going to be factors. And even for the people with the best of intentions, because of how we've been socialized as a society, um, it's really hard sometimes to break out of these stereotypes or these messages that we've learned and internalized. And so I think that, you know, really um, considering is it something where the person is open to having a dialogue? Is it something that you'll have to bring someone else in? Do you have that psychological safety? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think there, there's just, it's hard to sort of give one answer on what to do yeah. because there's just so many different ways to play it. And I think it also really also depends on just the day and time and personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I, I found personally um, you know, I'm a really big fan of transparency and communication because I feel like we don't, as a sort of collective society, we don't talk about things right. as much as we should. And so this is where it's tricky because, you know, I'm saying this to you from a position of power and privilege, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a co-CEO. So if someone doesn't like me speaking up about something, I can, I can fire a client or, you know, I can, I have power over people who yeah. report to me and, you know, they may not, like if, if the conversation goes off the rails, I'm in a position where I'm, I'm very secure, yeah. but, um, but that's me. And a lot of people who are dealing with these issues are not necessarily in the same kind of um, set up. And right. so it really is something to keep in mind, you know, um, especially 2021, we're still dealing with pandemic. Um, you know, a lot of livelihoods have changed dramatically. Um, up until a few months ago, I was also the primary breadwinner in my family because mm. my partner lost his job last year in the restaurant industry. And so again, like I'm from a position of, of power because I have the fancy CEO title, but if I had been working for another organization, I would have also been um, in a position of really needing that job because Mm -hmm. no other income was coming in. So these are all considerations and, of course, many more beyond just those couple that I've named that we have to be thinking about because it's just the unfortunate reality that we're still in a place where 
you know, we're definitely not into perfection. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Context definitely matters. You know, I am part of a woman of color circle group at Boston University, and we, we meet weekly to have some of these conversations. And sometimes there are, you know, times where we're like, you know, this person said that, but I just don't have the bandwidth energy to deal with it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that is totally okay. And in some cases, like you're saying, like, you know, I don't want to push this or um, because like you said, you're, you really need this job, you know, and, you know, I think there's this rhetoric and, you know, kind of cultural push to like, you know, always advocate and always stand up for, for yourself, which is fine. But then, you know, sometimes standing up for yourself is, you know, breathing and thinking like, how much stress is, is saying something oh, totally. going, going to such, affect me? It's, it's such an additional lift and, yeah. you know, emotional and sometimes physical labor that is being asked of, of people who sort of fall into these identity groups. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I, I, I will say too, for me, and this obviously ties in a lot to the work that I do, but for me, I'm, I'm of course concerned with, support and giving tips and helpful advice to BIPOC and women of color, yeah. but um, I'm almost more focused on getting the people with the power and the privilege yeah. to A, understand what's going on, and B, do the work themselves, yeah. and so that's really where I think, you know, there's, and this is something where we've seen it time and time again, where, you know, I, I call it sort of like the, the lean-in conundrum or, or what have you, where it's not the marginalized, oppressed group's job to do mm. all the work to fix things, right? Yeah. Like, they have some place in that, but really it's the people who are the oppressors, mm -hmm. the dominant groups, people who hold the power. Right. Like, that's where you really have to to shift the hearts and minds, and that's where the work needs to happen. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of, like, the digital conversations, you know, it's more um, what I, the work that I do is, is more, to a certain extent, focused on getting people who are triggering these difficult conversations <laughs> to understand why it's problematic and, and to sort of think about what they can be doing yeah. to alleviate it or fix it or address it in the future. Yeah, yeah, that I think that's such a valid point. Like it's turning it back to those who are in power um, because that's ultimately where the change happens, right? You, you know, new mm -hmm. policies, you know, company policies or um, systems of accountability that makes it easier to have these conversations, right, um, is so necessary. I want to ask you um, about if you're okay with sharing, you know, I know you said right now you are in a position of power, um, but do you have any examples maybe um, now or maybe in the past um, where you, you, you were convicted, let's say if you're convicted to say something, because sometimes you have those moments. I had a moment last year uh, where I was convicted to say something. I was in class and um, it was, you know, right around when the protests were going on in the summer surrounding George Floyd. And my professor was in uh, near Oakland, California. And we 
you know, we were having class and he just mentioned, had a, had a joke and he was like, um, oh, I got an alert that there's going to be looting in Oakland. And, and before that, we didn't know that he was like near Oakland. We knew he was in California. And that was just like, whoa, like that is such a loaded comment, <laughs> like a loaded comment. And then he caught himself really quickly, but then that was it. And so we were put in like different breakout rooms on Zoom. And I straight up said, like I had a, a, a friend of mine, um, also woman of color, and then who happened to be in my group. And I was like, did, did y'all just hear that? Like, because <laughs> like, also our, our, like, our feelings were on edge, especially then, you know, and, and particularly within the black community. And it's like, you're going to say something like this and it's like a joke and there's people's feelings. So in that moment, I felt really convicted. So when he popped into my room, you know, I mentioned it and uh, my, my uh, friend was like, Hey, you know, I think that it will be very helpful if you apologize, you know, to the whole group, you know? And so, so like the fact that sometimes we have to just like, you know, we're convicted. I mean, I don't want to say have to, but yeah. those moments uh, I think are necessary. And it was, it was interesting because I think he tried to fix it a few days later and then offered like, Hey, read these books. And he offered like, I forgot what the book was, but it was this book by a white man who did blackface, like who's trying to share like, Hey, like learn about the black experience. And so my friend and I were like, you know what, I'm just gonna have a full conversation with him because I don't want him sending these books to people like, <laughs> like, mm, the, yeah. you know, so. We're like, also, it's not our job, it's your job to bring these books. Yeah, it's <laughs> not, it's not our job. But, you know, there was just, you know, in certain moments, I'm not trying to tell people to all do what I did. And I don't always do. There's some moments where I just can't, I don't have the energy. Um but I just want to know for you, from your perspective, if you had any examples that you don't mind sharing or one example that you've yeah. like felt like you had to have a conversation and how that conversation went. Yeah, you know, <laughs> um, I mean, there's, there's obviously so many examples. I was just, I'm laughing because I was, as you were sharing your story, I was thinking about um, more what my experiences have been like in the past. And, you know, I'll be really honest, um, up until... Really, I started getting deep into the SGO work. I would say I very much suffered from a lot of imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I was also, I mean, I think I'm still doing this, but I was very much also trying to understand my identity. And I think that's a work in progress, yeah. of course. But, you know, being biracial, um, being someone who is half white, but is also brown and yeah. having the hearing disability and just really sort of understanding that not just for myself, but in the larger context as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it's taken quite a bit of time. And, you know, and so I, I can definitely think about examples in the past where I didn't say anything or I didn't have the wherewithal or I was, I didn't have the understanding around what, why things were problematic. And if I were to be in those situations today yeah. <laughs> or 2021, Felicia, in, you know, 2009 times or whatever it might be, yeah. I would react and talk really differently. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, certainly there's there's a bit of regret that maybe I, I didn't say things or, or stand up. But at the same time, what I like to say is that all of that, all those experiences brought me to this work ultimately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think um, a couple things were, I, it's a little bit more recent, yeah. but um, what I've been, what I really 
value and what I try to leverage as much as possible is leveraging this platform that I have. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, certainly last summer when, um, you know, George Floyd was murdered and, and not just George Floyd, but sort of everything kind of came to a head around a lot of different things that were going on and social unrest and murders. Um, you know, it was something that uh, I felt really strongly. I mean, my whole team, we felt really strongly that we had to say something. Yeah. And this is partially because of, you know, the space that we operate in. Yeah. We are DEI practitioners. We, we do this for a living. Um, but also, you know, we have the community side too. And what we have always known, but what really came to be highlighted yet again is that you know, there are people out there who are working at problematic organizations who mm -hmm. don't address issues or who don't offer support. And so it's sort of a twofold thing where on the one hand, you know, addressing sort of a societal issue, but then also really being that voice for that person who is that, that lone black woman who is working at her job. Right. And, you know, no one said anything mm -hmm. or, you know, no one understands why she wanted to take off work or whatever that might be. Right. Yeah. And it was really ironic almost in a way because that first, I guess it was that first week in June, um, you know, we have someone who is in our team who reports to me who also is a practitioner. She's a black woman and she was on vacation that week. And I'm so thankful for it because yeah. even though I, I like to think that I would have not leaned on her to help or to review messaging or whatever it might be, yeah. um, I can't say for sure that I wouldn't have. And so just having her be away mm. um, really was, was, helpful in a way to say, you know, what is your position and what are you going to say? Mm. And so, you know, we had a response and we, I feel like we've responded at various points in time because every other day there's something that needs to be addressed in this world. But, um, you know, also from like a more microcosm standpoint, you know, we've, we've been talking, you and I, about microaggressions and sort of how to address them. And, you know, one of the things that I like to teach people who are maybe not necessarily as familiar with being on the receiving end of microaggressions is how to act as an ally for other people. Yeah. And, you know, and so this particular person who um, works with me, she and I were on a call one day last, I guess it was last year, and um, the client made a comment about her hair. And mm. <laughs> it was really awkward. And, you know, she was messaging in a private area it's like oh you know my gosh I can't believe the client just said that and so I messaged her separately and I was like hey I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on with the with the client so yeah. when the call is done can you just can you just hop off I'll, I'll address this and you know so she did and then um you know I, I basically had a, a short conversation with the client and um offered them the feedback and we had a discussion around it and yeah it was really uncomfortable because yeah. I, you know, talking about power dynamics, like <laughs> that's where the title kind of goes out the window because they're a paying client. And yeah. at the time, you know, this was in the middle of the pandemic, full blown, getting into, you know, a lot of uncertainty and they were paying us a lot of money, but it's important to have yeah. these conversations and how can I teach other people what to do if I don't do it myself, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I think, you know, and especially... Um, you know, it's again, it's February, 
we had the whole sort of insurrection that was happening early January, and we sent a letter out that I wrote um, on January 7th after the January 6th insurrection. And, you know, every time we put something like that out, like we get unsubscribers from our newsletters and our mailing list, but it's important to stand up for your values. And I think that's really what we've seen, especially these last you know year or two, is that if you say you have these values and you say you support certain things, then you have to do the work and if you don't then it's just what service yeah yeah and i apologize if for my phone i just put on silent um but i thought you there were there were two like difficult conversations right that you mentioned like reaching out to your colleague because that's difficult too like it's a it's a, a reaching out you're being vulnerable you're you you're not sure how she would react, you know, um, are you going to say the right things? Right. That's, mm -hmm. that's one way to look at that versus like, Oh, this person had, a, you know, did this to me. Um, because I think there are many times we see microaggressions happen and, you know, it, it's not happening to us. So we don't say anything, which is okay. I'm not trying to say you have to say anything every time, but that is a difficult conversation and, a, and something, a challenge that you kind of push yourself through. And then that conversation with the client, which is, has high stakes, right? Stakes are involved, like a lot of difficult conversations deal with that, you know? Uh, so I thought those were really great examples. And like you said, like, are you, you know, preaching, sort of practicing what you preach, that kind of um, saying particularly with that client because you know if they're working with you and they say like wow she's even had this conversation with me wow imagine what she's gonna say to the other employees of this this company or or the facilitators or whoever we're working with uh, so thank you thank you for sharing that um, yeah yeah we're to almost towards the end um, I just want to say like why as a whole are these conversations necessary or are, are, are they, you know, I think we've talked a lot about context and the importance of that and considering that, but why, why are these conversations? I mean, a big part of what you do, you know, as, as she geeks out or having these big difficult conversations, I know it's higher level than the, the one-on-one -on -one conversations that you have, but what do you think? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think until we're at a point where, um, we don't need the conversations. We'll, we'll always need. We'll probably always need them. Yeah, I guess it's really, <laughs> really the takeaway for from my perspective at the end of the day. And you know, I think that's partially what I see. Again, we've been talking about things like resistance, and that's where I sometimes see resistance where mm -hmm. people realize or where they start to understand that it's not an easy fix, and you can't just take a training or read a book or. Yeah get a playbook or, you know, post something on Instagram and it'll all be over. It just doesn't work that way. And yeah. so, you know, we talk a lot about this idea of the work is not the workshop. Um, that's something that we say a lot at SGO. Yeah. And, and what we mean by that is like, yes, you will obviously be doing work within a training or a workshop or a program or, you know, if you're reading a book, you're going to be doing work to read the book, especially if you're, if you're challenging yourself with different ideas that you haven't encountered before or that, um, you know, are, are contrary to what you may have learned in the past. But the real work happens every day. Yeah. It can happen within the confines of a Zoom call mm -hmm. or an in-person training. The real work happens in these moments where you're, you're, 
you know, sitting across from somebody and they say something weird or yeah. you're, um, you know, you get that performance review and you're described as being too aggressive or whatever that might look like. That's where the real work happens. And so I think that's also, um, you know, part of why these conversations are so important is because especially, you know, we saw so much global attention to a lot of these really long-standing issues around racial injustice and equity and classism and um, health disparities and, you know, these big things, right, yeah. where we were, we've been talking about this stuff in a way that we really never have collectively. And, you know, what's also interesting is that I think now that we're about a year into a lot of this big change and these shifts, we're starting to see, at least what I'm starting to see is um, like splintering of how people are, are continuing the conversations. Mm. And so some people are still in it and they're, you know, they're motivated, they're, they're doing the work, they're, they've got budget or approvals or they've been able to do things that they never were able to do before. And then we have other people who are like, yeah, so I, I, I did something last year. Like I, I went to a protest or I put yeah. a black square up on Instagram or <laughs> I read white fragility or whatever it might be. Right. right. And they're like, so I'm done now. Right. And no. And so that's until we can get that second camp of people realizing the work's not the workshop, then we will never really be able to you know, finish having these conversations. And the conversation's going to change too, right? So it's, everything is always evolving. So we might be able to address, you know, the big issues of our day right now, but there will be other things coming up in the future that we have no idea what to expect. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, what happens when, you know, or do you have any advice for women when the conversation just doesn't go well? Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's so hard sometimes. Um, you know, again, I think it'll depend on sort of what the particular situation mm -hmm. is, but, you know, there's a couple different options. There's always an option of removing yourself from the situation. So whether that means leaving, taking another job, mm -hmm. trying to get a transfer, switching careers or roles or whatever, managers, what have you. Um, especially when a work, within a workplace context, if you are able to, and this is something that is open to you, um, you know, there's more, I guess, like formal recourses, like HR, legal, what have you. Yeah. Um, but then if it's not really like a egregious violation or if it's more subtle and that's where it's a little bit more damaging, I think, because it's harder to prove things like tone of voice or, you know, someone just doesn't like you or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I think really trying to figure out who are your, who are those allies and who are those people, mm. whether it's within your organization or outside of your organization that you can lean on, who can help validate your experience or who you can share what's going on. Um, because sometimes what happens, what I see happen quite a bit in these sort of moments is that you start to feel really alone and yeah. that no one understands or no one would understand or no one would get it. And so then, you know, if you are in that kind of mental position, it just feeds on itself and you have and things like the imposter syndrome kicking in even right. more so and, you know, isolation. And, and so I think just really reaching out for support in whatever area you can find it is so important. Um, you know, just making sure that you are documenting things that you, um, you know, are making 
the most of what resources you have available to you is really important. And, you know, sometimes really at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do internally. And so sometimes it does mean you have to change up your situation. Um, but I think what I would say sort of on a more positive note is I am seeing that more organizations are, are shifting and they're willing to to, you know, do the work and shift. And so I would say probably this is going to, you know, differ organization to organization and situation to situation, but, um, you know, finding out who within your org is that sort of change agent yeah. or who can support or champion you and really just, you know, relationship building, I feel like is, um, is not really valued as much as, as hard skills or, or other skill sets are in today's world. And I think it's also been seen as something like collaboration and relationship building has been seen as a more feminine skill set, if you will. But for me, like, that's really the heart of what's propelled my own career. Yeah. It's always been about yeah. relationships. It's always been about the people and the connections and, and how I've been able to build on that, that's gotten me ahead in my own career. And so I think that's just really never going to be, um, never going to go away. And so, you know, in these kind of moments with the difficult conversations or if things don't go well, or if you're isolated or you're being retaliated against, like what are those relationships that you can lean on and draw upon to help you in, in that situation? Yeah. It's so interesting that you said like relationship building and you know it's has like a, a feminine I guess or associated with like femininity in a sense and I never thought of that and it's so it's so big in careers like networking is based on relationship building yeah right and that's like yeah well um but yeah great tools and tips for women like self this element of self-care and also there's this element of getting support, finding the policies, like you were saying, that you need, um, or if you need to move forward in that type of way, do you need to leave? Yeah, yeah I think that's... Well, and I would say, too, um, another thing to, to just throw out there as well is, you know, like, talking about this stuff, because yeah. I feel like, um, and again, this will depend, but I feel like overall, I've seen, you know, we just didn't we used to talk about this stuff in the past and you see this not just with things like workplace microaggressions but you know if you look at movements like me too mm-hmm. times up like we're, these are movements because we're talking about it and mm-hmm. then you have one person who says this happened to me and then you have other people who yeah. say me too right yeah like, literally me too. <laughs> um and and that's so powerful because that's where you know that's a tool of oppression is violence right, right. and so you know, the thing is that it can be really hard to be that person or that first person to speak up. And so that's, I think, the real challenge is, you know, like we were talking before, can you, do you have resources, do you have financial support, yeah. like all that stuff is obviously going to be considerations. But if you are able to speak up and just have these conversations and be transparent, like yeah. that's so powerful too because that's where you know we're seeing this in so many different um, examples these days where um, you know I'm thinking of the um, the data scientist um, who was fired from Google yeah, for, yeah. for speaking up about ethics right and then like all, all of these other stories are coming out now and she's sharing her own story and that's so powerful mm-hmm. and important and you know and I think just that's part of it too is like 
Um, are you that person who can share or can you, you know, find other people who can be that person for you? I think that's part of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I love that concept of, you know, you're not alone in this, right? So that destigmatizes your situation um, Mm -hmm. and helps you find connection. So this, this has been awesome. Uh, Do you have any final tips or advice? I know you've already shared so many, dropped so many gems, uh, but is is there anything else? (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, I guess like my final tip, I feel like I alluded to it a little bit, but just to come back to it, and this is more of a, a personal thing as opposed yeah. to like a structural or organizational tip, but from a personal standpoint, because this is something that I think is true for anyone, no matter what your identity is or what privileges you do or don't hold, is we all have some kind of privilege in yeah. some area. Yeah. And so when we notice those feelings of resistance or defensiveness in ourselves, just, I'm a big fan of this um, idea of noticing and naming. Like, that's a skill that I, or a tool that I use a lot in my work. And so, like, just try to notice it for what it is and then unpack it a little bit and yeah. think to yourself, like, why do I, like, why did I immediately react with a dismissive thought or statement? Yeah. You know, and, and is it because I don't have any understanding or personal connection? Is it, justified is it because um i've never had to think about this before and i don't want to have to do that work you know there's so i think just that's um that's a practice that we can all do and it doesn't matter who we are or where we are in our lives um you know it's, it's such a valuable skill I, I refer to this technique all the time noticing and naming i love that noticing and naming i'm gonna definitely incorporate that thank you thank you for sharing Thank yeah. you so much, Felicia. This has been so awesome. I've, I've learned so much. I know many of the least listeners have learned as well and hopefully will apply this and, and realize they're, they're not alone in their situation, no matter how they navigate difficult conversations. Right. And yeah, um, I will definitely put some information about She Geeks Out on, in the show notes. Um, and if there is there any other information like social media that you feel comfortable sharing, um, is that something you yeah. do? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, people can find us at www.shegeeksout.com. And we are on not all the social media platforms, but a lot of them. Yeah. And you can find us at She Geeks Out on um, most of those main platforms. And yeah, we're, you know, we're all virtual these days, but we're still doing, um, we're still doing our community meetups. We're doing meetups for people who are interested in the DEI space, whether you're a practitioner or someone at an organization or just personally interested um and those meetups are all free at this point and we also offer training so if that's something you're interested in you can check us out on the website as well thank you thank you so much thank you i really hope you all found this conversation valuable i know i did One thing that really stuck out to me and resonated with me was our conversation about not having to say anything, even during those difficult conversations, stepping away from it, because that's part of our self-care. There are going to be times where we feel that we have the power, the confidence, or the conviction 
to say something. And we should definitely do that when we are feeling ourselves in that moment. And at the times when we just can't, we just can't. Just a reminder, follow me on Instagram at Beyond Her Grind and check out my website at beyondhergrind.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes or Spotify. I'd love to hear your feedback so that I can continue to produce more amazing content in the future. Thanks so much and talk to you all next week.